It's the criterion. It's the criterion. 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 N. 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 Everybody. Welcome to the Criterion Project, and this is the show where we like to talk about the Criterion channel and the things that we have been watching on the Criterion channel. It's a lot of fun, and I'm film critic Rachel Wagner, and Conrado Falco's here. Yes, he is. How you doing, Rachel? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a super busy time for me, but uh, but it's been great. Mm-hmm. And now it's time to slack off with Richard Linklater and yes. Slacker. Yes, yes, we're gonna like put our heads in the space of Austin, Texas, and mm-hmm. take take a chill pill and have a great time. It's gonna be good. <laughs> yeah, that takes us back to the '90s, taking a chill pill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, how are you doing? I am pretty good. Um, I will just go into our recommendation segment, or like you know what we've been yes. watching. Because um, I went to an event for a TCM series. That's the TV channel is doing a series called "Follow the Thread," which is about movies with kind of iconic or very special use of costume design in them. And the movie that they showed um, here was uh, Now Voyager, which is a movie from the 1940s starring Betty Davis. And it's directed by a guy named Irving Rapper, who I don't really know very well. Um, But Betty Davis, of course, a huge star. And she plays this kind of, starts out as a sort of a mousy woman, but kind of like one a woman who's really been kind of like repressed and, and, and manipulated by her mother, who's like a wealthy woman. She's her only child and she has like this sense of ownership over her and to want to control her life. And then this psychologist played by Claude Rains comes into the house and um, he sees Betty Davis, the state that she's in, and he decides that he wants to help her and he has this... he has this idea of what's going to cure her is going on this long trip on a boat or like in a ship really like you know kind of like a transatlantic voyage and and she's gonna take the identity of a different woman and that's going to liberate her into being a different kind of woman and and bettering her life and for the most part it works but then of course there's like you know falling in love with a potential with a married man and then going into adventures and then coming back dealing with her mother and you know it's a movie that has a lot of twists and turns very melodramatic but also very very good i thought and what i was thinking after watching it is that uh these classic hollywood movies which is something that i've been getting more and more into in the last couple of years um they are much more, you know, they have much more variety and much more, they're not as formulaic as you would expect. You know, the way that people teach uh, film history a lot of the time is like, you know, well, Hollywood, it was all about the formula and the studio system. And, you know, and then, and they couldn't, they weren't able to do something very exciting. But these movies are really great. Like, you know, this movie is like four movies into one. It just keeps turning and twisting into different things. And when I thought it was over, there's a whole final act, which I thought was the best of the movie and goes in a completely unexpected direction, but that makes a lot of sense, that wraps everything together, that it's so emotional, that had me tearing up and a great ending that is very, very um, touching, but it's also very unusual and strange because it's a movie that's trying to be about psychology and the ideas that it has about psychology are a little 
you know, a little strange when you really think about them, but also uh, it works really well. I, I had a great time. I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. And that sounds interesting. Uh, yeah. It sounds like something I'd, I'd like. And I agree with you that it is always surprising. Uh, and, and we've even talked about it when we covered uh, some classic films mm-hmm. on this podcast that when you talk about, especially pre-code, like when we talked about Merrily Go to Hell, these mm-hmm. older movies that are pretty racy, The Imitation of Life had, you know, some, yeah, yeah. R- some racy moments. And we just... I, at least for me, I tend to think of anything like pre-1950s as like so wholesome. And so, and that wasn't always the case. And I need to stop doing that. Because even one of the uh, the movies that I watched, it is pretty wholesome, but it has its moments. I watched the 1933 version of State Fair. And oh, this mm-hmm. was then taken and made into a musical by Rodgers and Hammerstein. And then there are two musical versions and I, you know me, I'm a sucker for musicals. So I like both of those versions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but this is is uh, really uh, interesting. And uh, and it has, a couple, this is about this family. They go to the state fair and uh, they have all different kinds of shenanigans happen to the family. There's um, two daughters uh, that end up in various sort of romantic uh, entanglements. And one of them is pretty I would say pretty risque and the other like basically falls in love and ends up uh, with this guy in the course of the week of the mm-hmm. fair. And, um, uh, and uh, it's charming. It stars Janet Gaynor, uh, Will Rogers. Um, and uh, uh, it has some funny parts. Like people keep putting uh, uh, alcohol into, I think it's whiskey or whatever into the, into the, her mincemeat. And so she ends up basically like getting the judges drunk, and so they give her the prize at the end. Mm-hmm, <laughs> the mm-hmm. So I'd say it's a fun uh, little movie. Um, <clears throat> the other movie that I watched that's not on the channel, but it is in the collection. Mm-hmm. I watched Blind Chance, and uh, this was part of the. I did a podcast on sliding doors for Hallmarkies. Uh, we did as okay. a bonus. And Sliding Doors is a romantic comedy with Gwyneth Paltrow where they have two parts of her. One part gets the subway, one part doesn't get the subway. And then you see how like one little different thing could change your life. And Mm -hmm. that's Blind Chance, which was from 1987. So it was way before. But Blind Chance is there's three different versions of him and uh, whether he got the train or not. And the big linchpin, even not more than getting the train, is whether he decides to join the Communist Party. <laughs> this is in Poland. And right. it's directed by Krzysztof Kozlowski, who did the uh, the Colors movies, which I talked mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. a while back on the pod. And it it I prefer Sliding Doors just because I'm more of you know, a rom-com person. Um, right. <laughs> but you know, it was interesting. It was it was interesting to see the three different stories and how they, uh, how they played out. They're all kind of it's it's yeah. definitely more um, pessimistic, I guess. Than uh, mm-hmm. yeah, than, that's, that's a good example of the Hollywood treatment, right? One of them yeah. is a pessimistic movie about whether or not he joins the Communist Party, and the other is a romantic comedy starring Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but it's an interesting one to to check off my list, I would say, mm-hmm. blind chance. So those were right. two that I yeah. wanted to talk about. 
Um, yeah, and I just wanted to say that um, in terms of like, you know, classic movies and, and that kind of stuff that I've been really immersing myself into, I would say, in the, over the last couple of years, obviously this podcast has been a big influence, but I also want to shout out again the our guests from our previous episode, Dave and Elise, who host yeah. the podcast, There's Sometimes a Buggy, which I love that podcast and it, it they really know so much about classic movies and if you're interested in classic hollywood at all it's a podcast that's really worth your time you know they know so much about the stars and the directors and the studios of that time um so i would really recommend it and they have been instrumental in my yeah. getting into it actually i i talked with them about now voyager after watching it because they're big fans of it as well and we had a great conversation um about this crazy movie. It, I would recommend this movie. It's in the Criterion collection for sure. I don't think it's on the channel right now, but there's a Criterion edition of it that came out pretty recently. And if anyone gets a chance to see it, um, I would really recommend it. It's a wild movie. Yeah, they were great. They're some of my favorite guests that we've had. They were really insightful and funny, and I, I really enjoyed them. And uh, I... What was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. Shoot. Um... Yeah, they they were great. I really enjoyed talking with them and what they had to say. And oh, I wanted to just give a little cheap plug uh, that uh, I am doing this project over at the Patreon uh, for the hundred uh, AFI hundred passions list that they did mm. in two thousand two, where they have a list of romantic, not just comedies, romantic dramas as well that they made the greatest of all time. And so for the mm-hmm. Patreon. I every week I am reviewing a blog post, basically one, each one of these selections from this list. And uh, it's open to all patrons get access to these blog posts and uh, to sort of start off the series, even though I've done four of them uh, at this point, uh, I had uh, you recommend to me your friend Zeta Short, who yeah. uh, was a podcast on the um, all the nominees uh, mm-hmm. for this list. And anyway, she came on and we did a bonus episode of Hallmarkies podcast where we talked all about the list and we went into detail about a whole bunch of films, ones we liked on the list, ones we you know, were wondering why are they on the list. Anyway, it was a great episode. I'll put a, I have a link uh, in the description uh, mm-hmm. that you can listen to. And if you think that sounds interesting, I'd, you know, sign up for the Patreon. I'd, I'd really appreciate it. And I think it, it's worth your worth your time even if you don't watch hallmark movies uh just for the afi this project i think will you'll find edifying and interesting yeah yes sita is great um and i i am looking forward to listening to that episode i i was on her podcast recently talking about the movie wild at heart with nicholas cage the david lynch movie so and then we had a great time so yeah she has a great show as well Mm -hmm. yeah so all right well let's get into slacker (laughs) This mm-hmm. this movie it was fun for me because I just visited Austin last year, and so having this sort of day in the life of Austin, nineteen ninety one, was fun. Or nineteen ninety was fun for me to see. Oh, that's the that's the Capitol House. That's the you know I recognize kind of all the uh, University of Texas uh, clock tower, all the different stuff that you kind of see throughout the movie. Ah, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this is a kind of classic from is Richard Linko's first film, I believe. Um, uh, I think it was his second movie okay. feature film, but his first one was so tiny and so mm-hmm. you know underground that th- this was really his breakthrough movie for mm-hmm. sure. 
Yeah. A day in the life of Austin, Texas, as the camera roams from place to place and provides a brief look at the overeducated, the social misfits, the outcasts, and the oddballs. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good description. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah what it's that kind of uh, the structure of the movie is this kind of like daisy chain thing, right? Where you follow yeah. a character until they run into someone else, and then you follow that character for a bit. And you end up following about 20-ish different people, I would say, throughout mm-hmm. through the movie. Um, each of them has like a brief conversation or there's like a little funny thing that happened or an encounter and you move on to the next one. And and it really kind of like paints this picture of this, this community, although I would say that it's really a specific part. I mean, I've never been to Austin, so I, I, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't know, and let alone the Austin of the early 90s, right? But it does right. feel like like the title of the movie says, it's kind of like the offbeat community of yeah. Austin, right? The people on the margins, the people who are spending the day, they're not at work, you know, a lot of them. Or or the people who are at work, we see like either trying to score, you know, steal some stuff or like, you know, trying to steal some car parts. Do you think maybe they are mechanics or maybe not? You know, it's people who are just like hanging out or trying to like drift. Yeah. And that's why I think I don't connect with this as much as I do Dazed and Confused, uh, which is more about the, you know, suburban, the teens, the parents, the, uh, it, it's just characters that I connect mm-hmm. with more than okay. sort of oddball characters. Yeah, Dazed and Confused was his very next movie, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I have to say, I've only ever seen Dazed and Confused 1 when I was around high school age okay. um so i don't remember it's too too well but i know that it's kind of like more of a high school kind of movie yeah, so yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah it has that yeah it has more of a genre specific genre vibe to it whereas this movie i guess especially at the time must have felt kind of its own thing you know mm-hmm. that's i guess another important thing about the movie it really kind of kickstarts that sort of independent cinema sundance wave of the 90s you know yeah, this I is the know. very beginning I don't know if you had the chance to watch that Siskel Niebert review that I... Oh, yeah, the one you shared with me, for sure. Yeah, and you could see that in Roger and his sort of enthusiasm for the film. You know, it felt like fresh, that something that he hadn't really seen before mm-hmm. in and his even, enthusiasm. And even Siskel, who didn't really love the movie, but mm-hmm. he even he was talking about how exciting he thought the conceit of the movie was and the yeah. idea of the movie. And, and it must have felt really exciting to see something so uh i guess so so different and so mundane coming in the, in at this point in time right um mm-hmm. you know the early 90s it it, it really caught the sidekicks you know obviously because like a, a many of these directors became very big figures but i think um you know richard thinklater really stuck to that kind of like hanging out vibe i would i would get i guess i would say you know mm-hmm. that that comes back in all of his movies you know so many of them especially i mean i haven't seen all of them obviously because he's made so many but so many of the good ones or the great ones are really about people hanging out and talking you know right yeah uh it's interesting because this sort of style of sort of gorilla filmmaking indie you know kind of thing uh you still see all the time of course but there was one even this year called therapy dogs which uh these two uh two high school students basically made a documentary about their high school experience 
Hmm. Um, and it ended up being a little bit of pandemic experience. And it's, it, 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 it has a lot of the same kind of outcast sort of spirit. And you could even, it's not as much outcast spirit, but even something like, um, uh, oh shoot, mind the gap. That would oh, yeah, be another one that gap. kind of has, I think, a little bit of this feel. Both those are documentaries. This isn't a documentary, but mm-hmm. I think it kind of has a similar feel. But this does, yeah, it's not a documentary, but it has a documentary feel in the sense of, like, it feels like something very personal for Richard Linkler and something that reflects his kind mm-hmm. of, like, view of the place where he lives, right? I feel like he's yeah. trying to show something about the spirit of this town that he calls home in this yeah. in this movie, Um and, you know, well, obviously, it's, it's from a specific perspective, you know, something who's like a young guy, college student. There's a lot of like philosophical and conversations in the movie um, that, you know, maybe it's not exactly how Austin is. I mean, I don't know, but but something that what he feels Austin is for him. Yeah, he's even in the beginning of the movie. Uh, we, yeah, I very think funny one of the scene. best parts. <laughs> I, I actually I got the quote. He He's in the, he's the, I think it's just man in taxi cab, I think is how they phrase it. Mm-hmm. But he just says, he says, man, I just had the weirdest dream back on the bus there. Did you ever have one of those dreams that are completely real? I mean, they're so vivid. It's just like completely real. It's like there's always something bizarre going on, though I, ha- I have one about every two years or something. I always remember them real good. Like they're always someone getting run over or something like really weird. Um, one time I had lunch with Tolstoy. Another time I was a roadie for Frank Zappa. Anyway, so this dream I just had was just like <laughs> that, except instead of anything bizarre going on, I mean, there was just nothing going on at all. Man, it was like the Omega Man. It was just nobody <laughs> around. I was just traveling around, you know, starting staring out the windows of buses and trains and cars. When I was at home, I was like flipping through the TV stations endlessly reading how to dreams uh, you have uh, how how dreams you have when you read in a dream, you know. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, <laughs> and the the whole time he's saying all this, the taxi cab driver could care less. Yeah, the, he doesn't even yeah, it doesn't even blink. I don't think, but um, yeah, and it and it's really. I mean, obviously, it sets up very us very well for what's going to come in the movie, right? This idea of like nothing's really happening here, but it's mm-hmm. just like. Is it a dream or is it... It's it's more real than, than reality in a way, right? What, mm. what he's trying to say there, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's really funny in that scene. I found the movie pretty funny, I would say, for the most part. I think that maybe that's one of the things uh, that that makes a difference in how much you enjoy this movie is whether yeah. or not you find it funny. Um, right. I could see someone watching it and be like, what is going... Nothing's happening here. What is... But if you have, like, a sense of the kind of... You know, I live in New York, so I know, like, this kind of, like, you know, hipster people from, like, Brooklyn and stuff are not too dissimilar in some ways, but you have met, like, characters before, so um, you can understand the idea of someone running into the street into someone who's, like, a complete weirdo, but you just kind of, like, listen to them for a little bit, and then it continues. Mm -hmm. Did you have a favorite character that really stood out? Or sequence? Uh... Yeah, I really love the sequence when the guy comes in to to steal something. Like, he breaks into a house, I think, right? And then the owner of the house comes in, and he kind of talks him out of it. And then he gives him, like, a little talk about, um, you know, he's this older guy, and he tells him about his war stories and what he thinks about, like, 
the history of, of Austin and anarchism and, you know, the idea of, of, of shooting the president, President McKinley. He talks about the assassination of President McKinley and things like that. And then at the end, you, after he, you know, he talks him down, he gives him a good lesson. The guy seems to, like, be really receptive. And then you find out that his war stories are, like, basically all fake, right? And he's just uh, making them up. But it's like, uh, I, I really like that section. That was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really good part. I did think probably the funniest part is when the lady gets the pap smear of Madonna. Oh yeah, that's very and and that lady who plays that part, she's really funny. Yeah, the way that good. she's talking about it, and and that's also I guess that's what's funny about it too is like everyone is such a character, you know, and but not mm. in a way that makes you feel like fake, right? It makes like real people. It's just like that kind of like young person vibe, and everyone's kind of like kind of like a bit of a pothead, a bit of a slacker, like the movie says. And they're just like talking about, yeah, man, it's like Madonna's pastor. You know, she said, you could, I could get some good money for this. Do you want to buy it? You know, everyone's trying to like make a little money, um, but not really have a job. There's also that guy who talks about like not wanting to work, right? Uh, to be in like, um, do you remember that part? There's the guy who's like against work or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was good. Uh, that you know why would I want to suffer <laughs> yeah exactly that, that working is suffering and then I'm gonna like yeah something like that and he says if, that uh, it's the uh, futile causes you to fall into a weak into weakness uh, escape from working uh, and uh, and uh, the, and <laughs> the more I get to know you the more I feel sorry for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, uh, so Roger Ebert has written a review. He says, we are listening in on a whole stratum of American life that never gets paid attention to in the movies. The people who believe the things they read in magazines sold in places that smell like vitamin B. They have special knowledge, cult beliefs, revolutionary health practices. And then he says, the point is not really what is said, but the tone of voice, the word choice, the conversational strategies, the sense of life going on all the time, everywhere, all over town. Hmm. And I think that especially that would have been true in 1990. I do think that there's probably something of, is this now kind of played out that we've gotten, you know, the, all these years of Sundance and, you know, all these kind of independent films and that is it, is it still as kind of, is it still as, as much a group that the movies don't talk about? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, What do you think? That's a good point. You know, I mean, definitely it feels totally different now, you know, after so many like 30 plus years of uh, movies. Well, that's the thing, you know, it was fresh and new at that time and then it becomes a genre and it becomes something that people know becomes familiar becomes uh something that can be capitalized upon as well you know Mm -hmm. like there's this we were talking about this recently i think on this podcast about how there's a thing as a sundance movie you know you know kind of like the kind of movie that plays at sundance the kind of movie that plays at this other festival you know and it becomes more boxed in and more predictable um i would say that what stands out about this movie that makes it I think stand out to me these many years later and I hadn't seen it before I have to say that as well is that um, that you can sense that element of the new and an element of the very tangible I guess the, the, the sense of place again like I said I've never been to Austin but the sense of place in this movie really struck me 
because you know there's something about the movie it's shot on film and it's not like the the highest quality film stock you know it's like a like a independent movie so that it's pretty grainy but you can sense that it's something practical you know and everything all the streets look real the houses look real the diners are you know real and everything's lit with natural light and there's a sense of like almost feeling like a home movie so you you really get a sense of something that looks very to me it looks very real in a way that I think it gets lost when it becomes more and more glossy with like more money and more like you know studio lighting and big stars and things like that and you start to lose that sense of of real I don't know realness I'm just repeating the word real again and again but I guess that's what that's what I'm trying to get at yeah now I you know what's also interesting about this movie is that it was very influential on Kevin Smith, who then oh, would yeah. be inspired to go and make Clerks, uh, which is has a lot of similarities, I would say, to this movie. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a good example of a career that kind of became more and more about, you know, one aspect of this movie of like the talking about pop culture, the talking about mundane things, and then kind of maybe didn't quite evolve the way that you would have expected Um Whereas Richard Linklater himself, I mean, you know, these things come up again and again in his movies, right? The the talking about um, ideas and, and, you know, the before movies are all about people talking. Boyhood, which we covered in the show and which we didn't say, this is Richard Linklater is our first return director of the return project. So good, good for him. Obviously, we're big fans of him. Um, and in Boyhood, you see that as well. You know, so many of those scenes are just people talking about different things and, and, and that sense of their day-to-day life accumulating in Boyhood. This is probably something a little bit different, but it has a similar effect of just like, you know, for each person, we get a little glimpse of their day and it's and it builds a bigger tapestry than, than you would have expected you know it's bigger than the sum of its parts just like in boyhood you know you get glimpses of this person's life and it becomes bigger than the sum of its parts yeah what did you think of the ending with it so you've got these filmmakers they're kind of running and filming and Mm -hmm. and literally the ending shot is it like throwing the camera into the air I love the ending, um, and I know that that Gene Siskel loved the ending too. He talks about it in the in the episode that you shared with me, um, and I think he's right because I think he calls it like a, like it kind of like a, this, the movie kind of become embodies itself, right? And he talks about like throwing the camera around and how like the movie becomes more and more abstract in that final moment, right? Like they're like it's like it turns into super eight footage which is already a little bit you know anachronistic for the Mm -hmm. early 90s it's like an old technology and the people shooting around and moving it around um it's harder it becomes harder and harder to see what's going on there's no no dialogue it's just music and then they throw the camera and then it's just like flashes of of images and it's kind of like this idea of like kind of like the beginning when he link later himself announces this movie is going to be different at the end he's kind of like putting a, a, a period at, at the end of that right like yes this movie is different i'm trying to do something different i'm being ambitious by being very uh laid back and, and simple in a way but this is like a statement you know and, and i really liked it yeah yeah i liked it too it was definitely the most kind of like energy that the film had and started to end off with that energy was really fun. 
Uh, and uh, so I, I enjoyed that. I One of my other favorite lines, and this is with the hitchhikers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it that uh, uh, when he says, every single commodity you produce is a piece of your own death. I thought that was an interesting line. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the guy. That's the guy who hates work as well. I yeah, think, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and he says, "Yeah, I may live badly, but at least I don't have to work to do it." Mm-hmm. That's such. A, that's also such a time capsule thing, you know. Like that moment in the early '90s, it really felt like this felt like something more. I mean, it feels very of mm-hmm. its time, right? In sense of yeah. like, it's kind of like you know. The, the Soviet Union is, is over, capitalism has won, the United States mm-hmm. is number one, but what, what's going on here? You know, what else yeah. is there for well, the it people also, here? It also feeds into Richard Linklater's sort of libertarian spirit, which you see in this movie. You see, I mean, the guy talks about modern-day libertarians. That's the opposite of anarchism. And mm. then you see a Ron Paul for president sign at one point, which is also very Austin, very obviously libertarian um so that you know that's kind of interesting and it, and we'll talk about remake but it would be interesting to see kind of where he's at uh right this many years later yeah many years later and uh, that would be interesting to see but um uh but yeah let's talk about our questions why do you think this belongs it's in the collection but also on the channel mm-hmm I think it's, well, first of all, what we were talking about in terms of historical kind of influence and importance, right? I think, it would, like we've been saying, it is one of those landmark movies for what was, especially looking at back at it now, was like a, a boom in the 90s for like independent American movies, right? And it's like a kind of Sundance boom before it was like a little bit more swallowed up by Hollywood, which I think it's kind of what you would get in the starting the 2000s until now. So even when there's independent movies there, you know, it still feels like more of a part of the industry than, than maybe back then. And, and Yeah, I mean, especially because uh, Sundance has been so co-opted by Netflix and Amazon Prime and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. rarely do you go there and you see the you know, guy making a movie out of his van, kind of a Sundance movie anymore. It's not that common. Right. And there was something exciting back then. And I remember when I was getting into movies, which was after the nineties, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was growing up, there was like a, like these stories about these guys were still in the ether, you know, and people Mm -hmm. talked about it like, yeah, Richard Linklater, you know, he just made this movie, uh, Kevin Smith, obviously, um, Robert Rodriguez, you know, he got a, was the credit card debt and he made El Mariachi and then Tarantino was working at a video store and then he became, you know, there was that sense of like young people, uh, slackers of a certain kind, movie buffs of a certain kind, being able to break through by doing something really special in, on, on their own, right? Movies made in, in Texas, in New Jersey, outside of Hollywood. Yeah. I'm trying to remember... It was something, The Sky, there was a movie last year that was made on a micro budget, I can't think of the name, it was Amazon Prime about this radio station that Oh yeah, The the Best of Night? Yes, yes. That's one that I think captured a lot of that energy and and it it stood out because you don't, see it that often of just like these people just 
clawing together a movie out of there, you know, there and making something interesting and exciting. And, um, that, that's one that sticks out of recent. I mean, it's different. That has more of like a plot than this does, but, um, Mm -hmm. it's exciting when you, when you do see that now, but it is again, less common, even if Sunday. Yeah. I think that's the key part. I don't think it's uncommon. I think there's a lot of movies, you know, people always say there, there are more movies made today than ever before, but I think, it's harder to see them or like not as much attention is paid to them. You know, back in the nineties, mm-hmm. if you would manage to make a movie in Texas, I mean, obviously it must've been really hard yeah. to get it noticed, but if you did get it noticed, um, you could become a big s- star and celebrity like Richard mm-hmm. Linklater, you know, a successful director. Now it's much harder. So yeah. Much and I think that a lot of times those kinds of movies uh, are genre films now. I mean, they were then as well. Mm-hmm. You had things yeah. like, um, Oh my gosh, my brain today. The um, yeah, I mean the Tarantino, the the Mariachi, all of that is. Yeah, is I can't think of the horror movie though that was right by. Oh, Blair, my, um, Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch Project. Movie? Yeah, sorry, today's not my day, but um, <laughs> but yeah, something like the Blair Witch Project. You know, always was kind of so you always had genre filmmaking that was on the cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. Even the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre that was on you know the cheap. Yeah, of course. And but I feel like you see that now more. It's like if somebody wants to kind of get in with a really you know low budget movie they kind of do a genre film whether it's a rom-com or a or a horror movie is the probably the most popular to do well horror movies have always been good for that Mm -hmm. because they sell really well for for yeah you know there's an audience for them always Yeah. yeah uh so yeah and i think that the other reason why this is important in the collection not only its influence on cinema but also it's because Richard Linklater is just an important director. I mean, and he's done just so many important films, whether it's the before movies or boyhood or uh, it, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that he's never, you know, one best director because hmm. uh, I don't know. He's just, I think he well, should have beaten in a redo, but well, right. Of course that was his big shot was with boyhood, mm-hmm. and, but it, it is. Yeah. Because his movies are not the kind of movie that usually gets best picture, at least not in yeah. traditionally. Right. It's That's they're not, fair. they're small. They're about people mm-hmm. hanging out, talking, but they're like, you're saying they're great. Like, you know, I love the before movies. I love school mm-hmm. of rock. That's a movie he made yeah. for, you know, in Hollywood for, with a script he didn't write, but it's such a mm-hmm. wonderful movie that it has like his whole, spirit and energy is in yeah. it as well and he's really great yeah he does he have really... some more conventional films like you're saying like school of rock mm-hmm. or bad yeah. news bears or things like that um, even days and confuses it i feel like has a little yeah. bit more of a you know mainstream vibe to it and he has this year the absolutely wonderful apollo 10 and a half which i loved uh on netflix if people right. haven't seen it you should check it out but um, uh, also, it's him being so influential in this movie, being influential on someone like Kevin Smith. I think that's important as well to have yeah. it in the collection. Yeah, yeah, and not just Kevin Smith. I'm sure that so many people were influenced. But I think, like, yeah, I think yeah. It's Tarantino's talked about it too. So mm-hmm. many of people of that generation um, really found a lot to be. I mean, how could you now? You know, all of yeah. a sudden there's this guy out in Austin who made a movie and it became a big deal. No, and it's no. just a movie about people talking and, and you know, done with so little money that mm-hmm. you must have felt like, oh, my God, if he can do it, I can do it, too. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So wh- where would you put it on the pretentious scale? Um, I think it is somewhere in there for sure. I don't I think there is something pretend. I mean, 
anytime you have a movie, I think Richard Linklater has a pretentious streak to himself, even if his movies are kind of hanging out, especially when he gets more personal, because he is a guy who loves reading, you know, philosophy and politics and talking about that stuff. And then you always have characters who are talking about the metaphysics and, you know, um, parallel realities, like he's talking about, or, or things like that, you know? So I think there's an element of that, but at the same time, it is really a movie that is very down to earth in a way and it is a love letter to the kinds of people that he likes being a part of, of, of his community and I thought it was really funny which I think is also important in order to you know uh, kind of like tamper down the pretentiousness so I would say maybe like a, the highest I would go is like a five or, or something around there what do you think really? I, I mean I think anytime you have a movie without a plot it's on the pretentious it's a side more pretentious. <laughs> yeah I do and these characters are kind of on the pretentious side mm-hmm. for the most part I would yeah, I would yeah. give it an 8.5 I think it's high oh really yeah this is not something I would recommend to like my average moviegoer friend I don't think they would like it it's That's too interesting. I think that you have to be kind of a more sophisticated film goer to appreciate a movie without a plot. Okay, yeah, that's that's probably a fair um, a fair uh, point. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, all right, uh, what do you think about a remake? So in a remake, I think we're maybe going in the same direction based on what you said a little earlier. But my first thought was obviously. Um, remake it, Richard Linklater, you know, do it again. Um, Mm -hmm. It just kind of, he loves those kind of time experiments. You know, time is another big element in his movies, revisiting past characters or, you know, something like Boyhood, which is shot over many years. So the idea of returning to Austin now, what kinds of people does he see there? Um, It could potentially be a big failure. I think that, you know, obviously he is a, famous director now um he's you know probably pretty rich and he's not in the you know part of the community Mm -hmm. that he was in back then so i don't know what his vision of that would be but i would be interested in seeing his take on how austin has changed i think there's probably a a sense of that that yeah that's going on there you know because like even the little bit that i've been in new york you know i mean 10 years is not nothing but it, it has changed a little bit since then and you can and there's a lot of talk in most places that have places have changed recently with like mm-hmm. technology and you know that kind of thing yeah and i think he could do it because if you think about it he came back to dazed and confused with everybody wants some spiritual sequel spiritual that was successful sequel, yeah. most people enjoyed it i did um yeah. so it would be I think interesting to see his approach. I also think it would be interesting to kind of like I was saying with mind the gap or therapy dogs, some of these to, to give teenagers or young filmmakers Mm. uh, to, for them to do a day in the life of Austin. I think that could be interesting. You could have a premiere at South by Southwest, which is in Austin. So it would be perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, and yeah, I, I would be curious to know a young I always hate it when I say the word young people. It makes me sound like I'm a hundred, but the, <laughs> the perspective of mm-hmm. current young people, I think would be interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, thinking about all of this, about like, you know, 
the perspective of the people living there, how things change, really makes me think something else that I really enjoyed about the movie, that I think it's something that's captured in time and that it's probably never going to come back quite in the same way, is the way... I feel like hanging out and downtime and spare time felt a little different back then before the yeah. internet and before, you know, smartphones and that kind of thing. You know, maybe it sounds like a little hackney to say that, mm-hmm. but but I really think, you know, I mean, I was just a kid, but I think that before the internet was such a big part, there was really so many times of just like hanging out with nothing to do. And you, yeah. and you couldn't just like go on your phone or like look something up on the internet. You had to like, you were just... Either you watch what was on TV, which was maybe not what you wanted to watch in any way, yeah. or you had to fill it up, fill the time some some other way. And I think that really does really capture in this movie. Yeah, I think that's true that you were forced to look to your fellow man for entertainment sometimes. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You didn't, you weren't just staring at your screen, and they weren't staring at the screen, and so uh, yeah. you. Uh, you totally you, you know you talked more to the people uh to people around you community uh, felt a little different i think mm-hmm. i mean i think so it, it still exists but in a different way right that's why revisiting mm-hmm. this movie would be interesting because i feel like i mean i don't know when i was growing up my my cousins like they had people in the neighborhood that they like hung out with it, like they were just like their neighborhood friends yeah. and i feel like that's maybe a little less common now um yeah well but it, i think it's important to have that it's like makes a place worth living and makes you feel like home yeah uh, something i was thinking a lot watching nepal 10 and a half that because it just it, it also doesn't have like a ton of plot there's like a little bit but it's mostly going back and showing sort of the life in the 60s and and uh, uh everything down to like what they ate and what they, it was very, and it's very like nostalgic and comforting because mm-hmm. you think about your own life, even if you weren't in the sixties, you think for me it would have been in the eighties. And I think back. Um, and so I, right. I really enjoyed that, but it, this it got me thinking about the whole idea of the paradox of choice, you know, that we, we have so many more choices now, but mm-hmm. does that necessarily make us happy? You know, like we think mm. that to use a, an analogy that, if you're presented chicken or fish, you're probably going to be happy with either chicken or fish, but then you're given a, uh, a, a, you know, cheesecake factory menu with, you know, 200 choices. And all of a sudden you have all this FOMO and you're, you wouldn't be happy <laughs> with the chicken or fish anymore. And so in theory, it seems like, Oh, I should be happy. I have all these more choices, but are, are we not, are we actually happier? Mm, not always. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. And you can see that here in a little, I think a little bit. I think you can see it here for sure, and I think you can see it in in many of his movies as well. Mm-hmm. I think um, it makes me think of Boyhood. I think there's also an element there of like, and in the before trilogy, really, especially in the later movies, of like what gives your life meaning. You know, like mm-hmm. what is the point of this all? What makes me happy? And and you know, and it's not the material things. I think that's something that always recurs with him as well. It's not just stuff or it's not just work you know it's something else mm-hmm. but what is it? it tends to be i guess community and love and that kind of thing yeah it's the 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 thing the material things are just like the vehicle to gain experiences and to connect with others it seems like mm-hmm. 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 yeah i did like one last quote i did i thought it was interesting when the when the person says a lot of times i leave a relationship i feel whole once we decide we need each other to be happy i get insecure 
I thought that was hmm. interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. This also sounds like a young college person <laughs> kind of thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I enjoyed. Uh, watching this movie it was interesting mm-hmm. of something different uh but uh uh what do you have on store next your pick for next time yeah so i realized recently that we had never covered an italian movie uh in the podcast and one of my favorite movies ever is an italian movie called the leopard by lucchino visconti but that movie which is absolutely beautiful and great and it's this big italian period epic set during the time of Italian unification is three hours long so I thought it's maybe too long to put on this podcast and to make Rachel watch it as her first kind of like you know introduction to to this director is this like the same time as Fellini and and that whole thing uh around that time yeah it's from like the early 60s so yeah um so the so I went to the next best thing which is the other big Italian epic around the time of unification that Lucchino Visconti made, which is 1954's Senso, um, which should be, which I've never seen before, but I do love The Leopard and this seems very much like on that vein. So I'm really, it's also a part of a time of history that I'm really interested in. So I am looking forward to it and I hope you guys will be listening. Yeah, that should be fun. I have not heard of that director. I've heard of Fellini, obviously. But, uh, but I haven't heard of him, uh, so that is going to be fun to dive into something new. So definitely uh, we will be back with that. And uh, let us know what you think of Slacker. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And uh, Conrado, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at CocoHitsNY. And you can also watch my web series, Wormholes, on YouTube if you search uh, Wormholes, the series, the whole two seasons of the show so the complete series is now available on youtube and you can watch it anytime you want great and you can follow us at criterion pod on twitter so definitely check that out and also make sure you're following me at rachel's reviews all over social media and uh if you are listening to us on itunes please leave your ratings and reviews that helps us so much five stars and uh, you can also find me at the Hallmarkies podcast. Take a look at that. And also, like I said, make sure to check out the Patreon and uh, could really use your support. And that would be amazing. Uh, and you can check out that AFI uh, project that I'm doing, Passions Project. It's, it's going to be, a, it's a lot of fun. So thanks everybody so much. And uh, we'll uh, talk to you all later. Bye everyone.